Good morning, guys. Well, praise the Lord. Praise God. Yes. From guilt to grace. From guilt to grace. Anybody ever felt like they have moved from a place from, from being guilty to a place of being full of God's grace? I hope so. I hope we've all been there. Amen. Yes. Um, there's a place in Scripture that I want to talk about this morning that where you'll see where, we, where he's moved from guilt to grace. And when I say he, I'm, I'm talking about David, um, King David. When I look at this and I, I think to myself, there's a, you know, I heard a saying a long time ago that about sin and Sin is one of those things that you don't ever really plan to live in sin. It's just that once you get there, it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It really will. And I think we want to see that this morning in Scripture as we begin to look a little bit at, at the life of David. But... It's that sin can take you farther than you ever want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And, and But the reality is, is there is some good news. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would like for you to turn to Psalm, the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in chapter 32. I want to read verses 1 through 11. It may be on the screen. I don't know if it is or not. Um, I forgot to ask. We have it. Yes, praise the Lord. And if you are, if you're willing, you're able, would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? Praise the Lord. And y'all get there, just say amen. Psalm 32, verse 1. I'm going to read through the whole chapter. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away and through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You, pre you preserve me from my trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord's loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, God, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you just for you know, Lord, your presence here too, Lord. The Lord, as we look into your word right now, Father, I pray for an anointing in this time. God, that your spirit would move and God, you would speak to the ears of, the, of those who are listening, but Lord, you would fill my mouth with words, God, because Lord, I, I confess I can't do this without you, God. Lord, I pray, God, as we look, the words would fill my mouth, and Lord, you would shut my mouth when it needs to be shut and open it when it needs to be open. And let our hearts be open to you this morning. Change our minds. And let us be awakened to the ideals of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, Psalm 32 is, it's an interesting psalm. And I don't, I, I, they, most scholars would sort of pair it with Psalm 51. Um, and I don't really quite understand that because Psalm 51 is, is more about the confession of what David did. And Psalm 32 is this, of after all this confession. So not really in chronological order, I guess, what I'm saying. You know, you get, should have got, my mind, you think you get 51 before you get 32, but that's not the way it happened. Um, or at least that's not the way it's recorded for us. Because um, we all know, and if you don't know this, let me make this real, real simple. This did not fall out of heaven and land in, in 66 books all put together at one time, okay? <laughs> it just didn't. Um, this was all put together over years and years of, and there's a whole thing about how we got our Bible. If anybody's ever interested in knowing all that, come talk to me later. Um, but we get Psalm 32 that's tied to Psalm 51. Now, just for a quick recap about what we're talking about here, if you don't know the story, let me tell you a quick story about King David. King David was a, was a, was a good king for the most part, and, but he had this one sin that he, he was an immoral man, very immoral. And, when, and what I'm talking about is he sent, his, he, he sent the people of Israel off to war and his good friend Uriah had this beautiful, beautiful wife named Bathsheba. Now he's now King David, he did not go to war with him. And he begins to look at Bathsheba and like and notices just how beautiful she is. Now, there are some people that would say that to have a thought like that is a sin. Right? Like, hey, every bad thought's a sin. No, no, not every bad thought's a sin. That's called a temptation. But what happens, though, is when we allow those temptations to start living in them, then they become sinful. And this is exactly what happened to David. He began to not only look at her and notice her, his beauty, her beauty, he began to fantasize about her. And eventually, they're going to war. He bring Bathsheba up to, up to my chambers. And so he has an affair with Uriah's wife, and then eventually, to cover up this affair, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, he ends up killing Uriah. I mean, 
Uriah really got the short end of the stick here, like poor guy. Really did. But we're going to read about this time in David's life after all this has happened. And David writes, pens this, pens this, it's, it's really, it's, it's a Hebrew poetry, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's what they call, the, the Hebrew word is maskil. It's instruction. Anybody else need some instructions in their life sometimes? <laughs> yeah? Like, how, I, yeah, I, I do. And I'm, I'm going to try to be short, but I don't know. I've got six points, so um, I'll try not to live in, live in them for too long. Um, point number one for you note takers, God will bless you if you repent. We see this in verse one and two. Let's read through this, okay? How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Let me, so let me just stop here for a minute. Let's live, let's live in these couple of verses for just a minute here. How blessed is he whose transgression. Anybody know what a transgression is? Transgression. Let me make it real simple for you. Okay. A transgression is willful disobedience. Okay. This is not talking about the ignorant sin that you don't know that you're committing. This is not talking about the lost person who's living in sin because it's, that's ignorance. Now, granted, it's a sin, but we're not talking about the same kind of sin. He's talking to you, church. He's talking to the people that know God's commands, that know what God says is, is wrong, that knows what God tells you is wrong, you shouldn't be doing. But you're like, you know what, Lord? You're, you'll forgive me, right? I'm just going to do it anyway. And I don't mean nothing bad by this. But a lot of times we shake our heads, but we do it, we do it and we don't even think about it because sometimes we have justified the things that we begin to live in. David justified this. But the reality, though, is if... We, we don't, if we take these transgressions and if we don't ever allow them to come to light, we'll find ourselves in the same place that David finds himself in. Here's what happens with the church a lot of times. We, we will sometimes justify a transgression and we feel such shame over it, we won't dare speak of it ever again. We won't talk about it. We'll be silent. We won't, won't bring it up to, won't bring it up. And then we don't even take it to God. But David summarizes this whole thing, and he says, but wait a minute, you're blessed if your transgression is forgiven. Amen? Your sin is covered. I, 
I scratched myself the other day, and y'all ever scratch yourself? The moment you scratch yourself, like little, starts bleeding right away. I looked down, and I couldn't see nothing but blood. I couldn't see the color of my skin, by the way, when your sin's covered. It's covered. It's good news. It really is. And he says, how blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And, and, and that, that word literally means like there, that, that typically there would be like a ledger and God doesn't write, that, doesn't write it down. There's a whole ledger that, that he could be writing down of your sins, but he just doesn't write it down. He does not impute the, the iniquity. But it says, and in those whose spirit, there is no deceit. You can't lie to yourself about this. Because the reality is, God already knows. If you have committed a transgression, if you have committed sin in your life, God knows about it. If you are feeling condemnation about it, by the way, it's, that's Satan speaking to you. If you feel conviction, that's just God's gentle correction. You see, you've got to push out the voice of condemnation and begin to listen to the voice of correction and be like, because it's not that God wants to take things away from you or make you feel bad about a certain things. God wants, to, God wants to bring you back in and cover you back up so he can bring you back to this place of grace and goodness and be like, hey, I can start using you again. But as long as you're living in shame and, and guilt and everything else, you'll sit there in guilt and you'll never find your way to grace but there's grace for you. Let's keep reading. Um, the, the second, my second point, I'm, I told you I'm going to try to be quick. <laughs> God disciplines the unrepentant. We can read this in verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as if, it was the, as if, as if with the fever heat of summer. Salah. Let, let me tell you something. So yesterday, I, I worked outside all day yesterday. We've been trying to put a roof on my porch forever, right? You know what I realized yesterday? I don't work outside a whole lot. Not, I mean, I do, but not just in the constant heat. Summer heat, man, I'm telling you. D David starts talking about how, he says, he said, my vitality was drained away as if the fever heat of summer. About 3 o'clock yesterday, when the sun was just beating down on us, like, I'll be honest with you, I just wanted to quit. I was like, are we almost done yet? No, we weren't even close. I wanted to quit. I was exhausted. My head hurt. I didn't feel like doing anything, and I was just exhausted, and I was just tired. And, and he begins to talk about this. He says, when I kept silent about my sin. Listen to this, church. When I kept silent about my sin. Scripture records that he, he was silent about his sin, about this transgression for a year. It took the prophet confronting him before he ever admitted this transgression. Nathan confronted him, and he finally admitted it. But in that time, in that time, his body was wasted away. He starts talking about having these physical problems in his life. And I can tell you right now, sin will cause physical problems in your life. 
It's not just spiritual. It's really not. The shame, the, the, the regret, the guilt, all of that, it will drain on your heart. It'll drain on your energy. It'll drain on your time. It, it'll, it'll drain you mentally. It drains you physically. And you don't feel like doing anything. You don't feel worth anything. You feel like you're not good for anybody. And you might as well just, well, if this is life, then I don't really want no part of it. I've heard people say those words. Book of James, chapter 5, I can't remember which verse it is, I'm sorry. It says, it says this, it says, it says that you should confess your sins to one another too, so that you may be healed. What? You mean confessing my sins will bring healing to me? Yes, it will. Accountability's sake. John, First John chapter 1, 9, I believe kind of says it like this. says, says if you confess your sins to him, he, he's faithful to, to forgive you. Yeah. But if you don't, if you allow what you've done to just... You allow yourself to be silent about that. There's consequences for it. And it's not that God's a bad, punishing, terrible God or anything like that. You can read it throughout the Old Testament. You may see times where God had punished people. But if you, had, but if you really read, what you'll read is he had patience, he had love, he had mercy, and he kept telling them over and over again, I don't want this for you. Come back, you stiff-necked people. And I, when I think about this idea of being stiff-necked, hey, I've woken up with cricks in my neck and I couldn't turn left or right. I just kept going the way that I wanted to go. And God's just saying, hey, quit going the way that you're going if you just turn around. I'm right here. But in verse 5, it's like the most profound verse. It's one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. We see it and he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Which brings me to my third point. God will, con God will forgive you if you confess your sins. Say it again. Actually, how about you all say it with me, but say it like this. God will forgive me if I confess my sins. He says, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. I acknowledge my sin. Do you know what that really means? All it really means is you're, you, you start coming into agreement with what God's already said. That's what confession really is. God has already said something about you, whether... The way that you're living is right or wrong. And if you ever come to God confessing your sin, it's just coming into agreement with what he said is righteous and wrong. Which, by the way, if you don't agree with God, you're wrong. <laughs> it's, it's really 
It's really that simple. But God, no, you're wrong. Okay, God. It's this beautiful truth in the gospel, though. And I want to I say this, too, though, that, and, and I think this, it, David sort of implies this. It's not said specifically in this verse. It, it's a little more than just confession. It is repentance, too. Because when you confess, it's like, God, I don't want to continue to live like that. I don't want to be this way no more. You recognize that what you've done is wrong, and you recognize that, that the, what you have dealt with because of what you've done was wrong, and it's like, God, forgive me for that, but I don't want to do it no more. That's, that's repentance. I, Lord, I want to turn away from that. It's just a change of mind. My way was wrong. Your way's right. I love this next one. It says, a fourth point, God will protect you if you are godly. Now, most of us think of protection instantly, like, well, you mean like I'm going to have a bodyguard there? Will you beat up the people I don't like? No. Um, it's not that kind of protection. But it can be to an extent. Verse 6 and 7 say like this. They say, therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they won't even reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Here's what he's really saying here. He's, he's, I love this, especially in verse 7. He says, you're my hiding place. I, I, he, can I tell you something, church? You are living in a world full of spiritual warfare. You are living in a world where Satan and his dominions and his, and his little and his demons, they want to come against you. They want to come against the kingdom of light. They are the kingdom of darkness, and they have every intention of spreading darkness all over this planet. But you are bearers of light, and there is actually no such thing as darkness. There's just the absence of light, and you've got to decide if you're going to allow your absence to be in, in place. But Jesus, it says right here, it says, look, you're my hiding place. You'll, per, you'll preserve me from trouble. We get stuck sometimes thinking that, that, that the enemy's got all this power, but he doesn't. We can go hide in the word of God. We can go hide in his mercy and in his grace, and, we, and he just covers us. He covers us and protects us from it. But if we don't find ourselves hiding in him, we're out in the open with a bullseye on us. I asked this question at the beginning one of my points, point number five, God will instruct and teach you, guide and watch over you. Verse eight and nine read like this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. That's good news. <laughs> I think I told you all once upon a time, like I, over the years, it, 
we have bought things that, that have came with instructions, and, and most of the time I don't ever look at the instructions. I just try to put it together without the instructions. And then about halfway, I think I'm almost done, and then I look and I go, what's that part for? Or better, even worse, my wife will look and say, well, what's that part for? And I'll be like, ah, that's spare parts. <laughs> and she'll go, I don't think so, Nick. I think it's supposed to have that. It's in the picture. Yeah, but it don't go in there. Look, it can't go in there. Not the way it's put together. There's no way. Well, did you put it together wrong? Well, I don't know. doesn't look like it. I think I put it together right. And then she'll say this. She'll say, well, did you read the instructions? Instructions? I'm a man. Who's going to read instructions? Come on now. Who wants to read instructions? Not me. I like taking things apart, apparently, and putting them back together. <laughs> I really hate it. <laughs> There's nothing worse than putting something almost all the way together and then having to take it back apart. And can I tell you, though, it's the same way with our lives. Scripture has told us Jesus had to go away so the comforter can come, so the counselor can come. God's Holy Spirit will guide you. God's Holy Spirit will counsel you will give you instruction. But as I said this morning in my prayer, and I meant this, I know it. I know it to be so true in my own life. God's a gentleman. God won't force his way into your heart. He won't force his way into your life. He's ready to run after you the moment that you turn around and start coming back to him. You see it in the story of the prodigal son. He's ready to run after you. God ran after you. Think about that for a minute. Because he was never lost. We were. And we see this incredible truth, this beautiful thing of grace. God won't only counsel us. He says, my eye will be upon you. Man. It's like the most comforting thing I've read in a long time. I don't know what you're going through, church, but I can tell you that God sees you. I don't know what you've been through, church, but can I tell you God sees you? You don't have to go through these things alone. You don't have to live in that place you've lived. God will instruct you. He'll counsel you. It's like my eyes, right? I'm looking down on you right now. And, and, when I, and, and listen, from, if, you turn, if, if anyone in here turns around and looks, you won't get as good of a view of this group of people as I have right now because I'm just looking. I see, a, I see you better than... Everyone else can see themselves right now because I'm, I'm up here and God is so much farther up there and he has this perfect vision. He has this perfect vision to not just see you but see inside you and see your heart. And lastly... 
God's love that surrounds you if you just trust him, if you truly trust him. We can read in verse 9 what happens with your stubborn but God's love will surround you. When you get to verse 10 and 11, there's this amazing good news. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you are who are all you who are upright in heart. And it's so easy to find yourself in this place. All you have to do is just trust him. All you have to do is trust him with the thing that you've been keeping secret because he already knows. And it could, and, it's, and listen, can I tell you, church, sometimes we talked a little bit about this, but it's not always an action that's the problem. Maybe it's a thought pattern you've got in your life that you just can't get out. Maybe you're constantly thinking about something the way you should be thinking about it. And, and it could be your job. It might be somebody in your family. It, it might be your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. You have these hidden deep things inside of you, and you begin to think about things, you begin to entertain thoughts, and you begin to say things that, you, that, that are not godly come out of your mouth. Can I tell you, God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that thought life for you. God wants you to have his compassion, his heart for the people that are lost and that need, they need him. Isn't it funny how, how sometimes we end up dealing with lost people and we find ourselves just as lost as the person that's lost because of the way our attitude towards them? I talked to a young man last night. who loves the Lord. But man, he's just, he's a socially awkward cat. Just, just an odd duck. And because he didn't fit in with the church he was going to, like people just began to talk about him instead of trying to love him right where he's at. See, the problem is, is we forget that we, we don't, we're not trying to live in our kingdoms, we're trying to live in his kingdom. And his kingdom loves people right where they're at and loves them to the place that gets them where he wants them. But if we begin to treat those people like outsiders and we never invite them in, I don't know if they'll ever come in. I don't know. 
Maybe the sin's an action. Maybe it's a hidden addiction. Maybe it's just something that you're fighting. But there's this beautiful thing where you can go from guilt to grace. To read in verse 5 again, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. 